welcome to episode 8 of Western Reaches. This is a Tashi Station podcast about the books, games, and Star Wars stuff that we're into this week. This is a sort of special episode with E3. We have a lot of video game news to talk about, so we're going to focus on that. We may have two episodes this week, so um, keep an eye out for a second one. This week we have Mike Audette on. Um, he is... He's a writer for Coffee with Kenobi, Far, Far Away Radio, RetroZapped, and co-founder of the Star Wars Podcast Awards. And he's going to talk to us about Pokemon Sun and Moon and all the exciting games news that came out this week. Um, I'm here with my usual host, Staff, as well. Hello. Hello. And Mike. Hello there. Do you want to give us a little blurb about who you are and why you're here? (laughs) Sure thing. Um, yep. So as Megan said, um, I'm Mike. I write for a lot of, uh, Star Wars sites, uh, do some Star Wars podcasting with the, uh, Star Wars podcast awards that I did with, uh, Andy. And, um, I'm a big Star Wars video game fan as well as definitely a Pokemon video game fan too. And unlike either of us, you play Battlefront. Yes. So I'll be able to give you the complete lowdown on what's been happening with uh, Battlefront. Yep, so we'll get some uh, on-the-ground reporting from someone who actually plays. (laughs) (laughs) So, real quick, we're going to start off with our usual books books segment. So, I'm halfway through a novel called The Traitor Baru Cormorant, which I would definitely recommend people who listen to this podcast it's um i picked it up partially because it sounded interesting and partially because it's written by an author called seth dickinson who also wrote the books of sorrow for destiny which is a fifteen thousand word destiny non-novel and uh you can definitely see it like if you like the the hive stuff in destiny there's some of the sort of same flavor to this novel but it's more of a medieval fantasy novel it's about a girl who's taken from her home and made uh, an imperial accountant in a very very unpleasant empire and she's trying to destroy this empire from the inside um it's a lot about money it's a lot about taxation and um it's a little bit about her being a lesbian in a society that does not um permit same-sex relationships so it's very complicated it's very well written um one of the best sword fights i've ever written i just got to or I've ever written what? No, one of the best sword fights I've ever read that I wish I wrote. Um, so <laughs> I would definitely recommend that. But I'm only halfway through, so who knows? Maybe, maybe my opinion would change. But so far, it's really good. I'm already sold on it. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> I think you would like it. It's very high fantasy, um, but it also has some interesting like. This empire uses surgery to uh, enable compliance on people if they don't do what the empire wants. Like, there's weird biology stuff going on, too. That sounds interesting. Yeah. You are reading uh, one of my favorite authors, Saf. I feel like we founded this podcast partially on our love of Star Wars and partially on our love of Nick Harkaway. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm I'm rereading The Gone Away World for like the millionth time. It's it's one of my favorite books ever. And basically, I had given all of my library books back to the library, and I decided not to get out the departure again. So I was like, I want 
to read something chill. And so I basically picked up The Gone Girl, which is not a chill book in any way. But basically, like, it's a very hard book to describe because it doesn't really sit in any one genre. And it has... It's essentially in a post-apocalyptic world. There's a character who helps... Who is part of a company who... I don't even know how to describe it. They basically go and fix disasters. Um, and so it starts off and there's a fire on on the Jorgman pipe, which is this massive thing that spans the world and basically keeps the world alive. Um, and so it starts off like that. And it's this massive thing. It goes back in time to like when this character is a child and goes through him growing up and becoming an adult and how the apocalypse happens, essentially. And it's got like ninjas and mimes and giant killer bees and mermaids <laughs> and it's and like pirates but they're racing car pirates in the desert and it's it's crazy it's a crazy book but somehow it all works perfectly and i love it so much even though rereading it now again that i like am more aware of these things there is a lot of like every woman in the book is beautiful essentially like <laughs> they're or if they're not they're very much described as not in an obvious way. Um, it's- I, I love Nick Harkaway, but he's not as creative with his gender stuff as he is with everything else. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I love the beautiful descriptions in that book. Weird, weird stuff in that book. Yeah, and like <laughs> it has an amazing plot twist about halfway through or two thirds of the way through. And like it, th- yeah. it throws you, you don't see it coming. And, well, I actually. I didn't see it coming, but I kind of figured out kind of where it was going to be, like, based around at one point, um, when I was talking to one of my friends when I first read it, but it is a really well-done plot plot twist, and it's a really well-done book. It's crazy and weird, and a lot of tangents within it, but somehow Nakakwe makes it all work together. And yeah, it's, it, I think it was his first, his first novel, and it's a pretty impressive first novel. Definitely. Nice. Yeah, what about you, Mike? So, um, I am re-listening to Aftermath just to prepare for Life Debt next month. And it's the, like, I first read it when it came out, you know, the actual hard copy of the book. And then I, you know, I haven't touched it since. And I'm re-listening to it on Audible. And it gives, like, listening to it through an audiobook format definitely gives it a different, um different aspect that you wouldn't you know that you wouldn't have gotten if you were just reading it from the page because of you know Wendig's um writing style where it's you know the present tense just the the aspect of the audiobook gives it it, it amplifies that even further so it's I'm having a really good time um re-listening to it you know I I completely forgot pretty much like most of the, what happens throughout the course of the book. So it's good that I'm uh, re-listening to it before uh, Life Debt comes out next week. Yeah. Does could... the, the... Sorry. Oh, go ahead, Zach. <laughs> I can see <laughs> that working a lot, like, really well as an audiobook with Chuck Wendig style. Yeah, it's really fun listen. You know, like, most of the times that work, if I, you know, if I don't have any podcasts to listen to, I'm just listen to the audiobook and i listened to like five hours straight of it the other day so yeah it's it goes it goes by quick and it's it's really good to see you know see the characters mm-hmm. voices and everything like that it's like singier like i completely forgot how awesome of a character he was love him so much <laughs> yeah 
does the reader do Mr. Bones? Like, the, does his voice? Yeah, it's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> it's so funny, like, just, like, the way he he does the talking and um, how Wendigo always wrote that uh, Mr. Bones was always, like, singing songs, like, while he was doing things. And whenever, like, he's reading the audiobook um, and he's doing like other people's dialogue in the background. They just put in him like singing as Mr. Bones. It's awesome. That's, so <laughs> That's cool. fantastic. Yeah. I was rereading aftermath because for the same reason, because life debt was coming out and then I needed to reread the Jedi Academy trilogy for an article. So I put aftermath aside and then E3 happened. So I'm still hoping to reread it further before the next one. Yeah, you have time. I mean, I don't think life that's out to like the middle of July anyway. Mm-hmm. Mid July. Yeah, and aftermath is pretty fast read. Yeah, I Yeah. You know, when it first came out I read it in like two days over the course of a weekend, so Should be pretty quick. After all this uh, all this games news settles down. Yeah. So um that was my attempt at a transition. Good job, team. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, games news. So, <laughs> games news. Um, this this week, the game section is going to be less what are we playing and more what did we watch during E3. Personally, I did not really play anything um, this week. I have Destiny on the brain all the time, but I didn't really have time to play. So we'll just be talking about what we liked, what we're looking forward to. Saf, you wanted to talk about a project that you have before we get into all of that. Yes, so there is a game jam going on this month called I Love You Jam or ALU Jam, which might stand for something else, I'm not entirely sure. But it's essentially a game where you, a, a jam where you make a romance game or like a dating sim in a month. And I got drafted onto a team that is making a game called Lover Watch, Crushes Never Die. And so we're essentially making a typical dating sim about the Overwatch characters. And so far we have three routes planned. Um, we've got Bastion, Genji, and Mei, who I'm writing. And it's heaps of fun. And our artists, our artists are amazing. They're, like Everyone on the team is friends of mine, essentially. And, yeah, if if you want to check it out, if you're curious about this game and you want to go date some Overwatch people, um, you can check it out on loverwatch-game.tumblr.com. Yeah. So I think you said before this is not for profit, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're not making any money off of this game. And what it will be available on PC, I presume, or mobile? Where will it be available? Yeah, definitely PC. We're going to try and do a Mac build, but because none of us actually have Macs, we have no way of testing bugs or anything. So if we do have one, it will probably be a little bit glitchy. Um, But definitely PC, yeah. (laughs) I guess I I could volunteer (laughs) to be your Mac tester if you need one. (laughs) We might need one, so that could work. Yes, I, I have... I can do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. So I just want to talk briefly about the two things I was most looking forward to after E3. Um, I realized that all the games I'm interested in are the ones that have female protagonists. And I don't know if that's like, if that sways me because I do, I very much gotten used to games where I can choose the gender of the protagonist and I'll just be a lady that way. Or if these just, matched what I liked because they also all have cool robots. So it's one of those two things. Yeah, I'm the um, same with that. But, 
<laughs> can't not really sure which which of those things drives this, but um, Recore looks really cute. Um, uh, ever since the first trailer came out, I thought it looked like really fun, and the new trailer just showed more of that. Um, it showed sort of some of the personalities of the robots, and so that looks super enjoyable. So not quite sure how the gameplay works. I can't really tell whether you have multiple robots at one time or you have one core and one robot. But we'll see. Yeah, I actually totally then, managed to miss all Recore stuff this E3 and totally forgot it was a game because I was really excited about it last year. And then I saw everyone talking about it after all the main conferences were over. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was really excited about that game. It was definitely sort of conference adjacent. I was like, where did that go? And then I think Microsoft showed the trailer about it on Monday. So the a lo- lo- excuse me, longer trailer. <laughs> And then there was also a longer trailer that came out recently for Horizon Zero Dawn, which I think the latest one came out earlier, so it was last week. It wasn't in the thick of E3, but that showed a sort of Neolithic female hunter fighting robot dinosaurs, and that is, I'm about all of those things. I'm so that so looks excited gorgeous. For that game. Yes. Yeah, Again, did not you see that? Sure. Oh, what? They, I was going to say they had like a gameplay demo of it during the um, PlayStation conference. Yeah. And it looked awesome. Yeah, and it has dialogue, branching dialogue. I'm so excited about that. Yeah. Always good. Yeah. So what gameplay did they show? I didn't see it. Um, it They showed a lot of... Go ahead, Sam. It was her... It was mostly her, like, talking to some dude and then going to basically clear out a place or something um and she fights this giant corrupt uh like spider thing yeah like spider robot i think it's very it's not, i'm not sure it actually is similar to the one the first gameplay trailer they showed last year um but yeah basically you're playing this you're, you're playing her and you're shooting down this giant thing and she's like oh it's weak against fire so you use like explosions and stuff to take it down it looks like real fun that looks wonderful. I just, those dinosaur things, I adore them. I just, I I want <laughs> one for my own. <laughs> oh yeah, she rides, like, a dinosaur bull or something. She hacks it. She hacks the bull. Yeah. So that she can ride it. Yes. And I was like, this is amazing. Yes. It's so cool. Like, it's just, it's such a weird, like, aesthetic that it's, like, super high-tech stuff completely mixed with, like, medieval style. Totally you know, like, works. bows and arrows and... You know, like, like log cabins and stuff. It's like just a we. It's like a weird aesthetic, but it's really interesting. Yeah, I really. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it being like, um, kind of like The Last of Us when you're wandering through that and you find like the abandoned like human cities and everything. I'm kind of hoping that Horizon Zero Dawn has some things like that. That you find some really, really old cities and you wander through them because that stuff is my jam. It took me watching the second trailer to realize that it is post-apocalyptic in some way. There's, you see signs written in English, you see, like, rusted cars. I'm just like, what's the story here? I mean, the story's gotta be Robot Uprising, right? Yeah. It's gotta be, like, <laughs> yeah. that's all there is to it. <laughs> but it, so it's almost like humanity's been knocked back to cave people, almost, but there are these robots and ai voices and things so really excited yeah. for that yeah it's gonna be I, i'm that is exclusive to ps4 which makes me sad so <laughs> we'll see whether i 
end up playing it or just watching it. I'm definitely buying a PS4. <laughs> yeah, this, I'm, this, I'm so this glad this I already have it. one. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're just like, no, no question, it's gonna happen. I mean, gonna I was happen. gonna buy, I was gonna buy an X-Bone, but Halo 5 kind of disappointed me, and I was like, why not just get a PS4 instead? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Halo, there was a Halo Wars trailer. Yeah. And I did not play the first Halo Wars. Um, John, my editor from Den of Geek, keeps telling me to, and I hope to jump on the beta this weekend, because the beta is available now, as of Thursday, June 16th. I think that's what today is, yeah. um, through the weekend. So I might play it later. But mostly my only impression was that that was a really pretty trailer, because... I've not played Halo Wars. What what did you guys think? I I played I didn't play Halo Wars one, but I watched every single cutscene from it. So I essentially know what happens in it. Um <laughs> it was a really pretty trailer. I always forget what brutes look like and I was like, what are these weird ape aliens? Like these aren't elites, what's happening? And then I remembered that that there's a reason that they look different because they were a different alien race. And I was like, that makes so much sense. But I found it really interesting that the tagline for Halo Wars 2 was like, know your enemy or something like that. Um, when, and like making it obvious that the Covenant is the enemy, when the entirety of the advertising campaign for Halo 5 and the entire theme of Halo 5 was Master Chief is the enemy or Oni is the enemy. I, I, like, it's really interesting to see how the advertising campaign for Halo Wars 2 is completely different to that. Entirely different. Um, and it's a mm-hmm. little bit jarring. And I'm wondering when Halo Wars 2 is even set. Like, is it set in the same time frame? Because I guess the Covenant is still fighting them. Um, but it could be prior to Halo 5 as well. And I'm kind of curious to see what they're going to do with the Covenant theme-wise with that. So we do know that Halo Wars is set in 2559, so it's shortly after Halo 5. Ah, okay. Um, we also know that the the Banished is the name of this faction, and they were originally part of the Covenant, but they actually fought the Covenant before Halo 3 happened. So they broke off from the Covenant before it broke apart. As for what that means about the know your enemy thing, I, I almost wonder, because Halo 5 had that great marketing campaign about is Master Chief the enemy, and then the game wasn't really about that. Yeah. And I wonder whether they sort of felt like they needed to go back to a much clearer message, and that message is just, there's a new enemy, go take care of them. I wonder how that's going to play into Halo 6. I'm so curious about Halo 6. I really wish we'd seen like a teaser or something because we got a teaser like the year the E3 after Halo 4 came out. Um, even if it was just like you see Chief and one of those giant things that I've forgotten the name of. And it was really cool. It was but, nothing at all, but it was so cool. And um, the trailer that ended up having nothing to do with the game. I mean, it was vaguely related to how the game ended up being. In a way, like it was Master Chief with Cortana, like trying to find Cortana, and there was the giant guardian thing. I mean, it it had similar elements. And even if it had been something like that, I would have been excited just to see a little teaser of Six. But maybe next year. I'm disappointed that we never got to wear the ragged cloak in Halo 5. Right? But, oh my gosh. Yeah. It would have been nice to see something from Six, though. And I wonder, 
what do these banished have to do with Cortana? Like, are they working for her? Is there going to be another, like, a fully AI faction? That could be interesting, actually, if they are working for Cortana and they're doing the whole know your enemy thing. That could be really cool. Yeah. So you, as someone who watched the cutscenes, I have no attachment to the Spirit of Fire crew. I don't know who they are, really. I know the Spartans in the trailer looked really cool. And basically what I liked about them was that they... Spartans are often portrayed as, like, being really ponderous, and these were just, like, really fast. They just, everything sped up when they appeared, and I thought that was cool. Um, but I don't know who they are. Who? So, who do you know who they are as people? Were they the same people in the first game? I honestly have not played, like, I, did, I watched the cutscenes, like, ugh, back when the game came out, so it was quite a while ago. Um, I remember, I think, there being a lady that I really liked. I cannot remember if she lived or died. Don't even remember if she actually exists or I just made her up because I was like, there needs to be a lady in this game. But I'm like 98% <laughs> sure there was a lady that I liked. <laughs> and I thought. I know there's a lady called Anders, but I don't oh, think she's a that Spartan. That sounds familiar. Yeah, I don't, she wasn't a Spartan. That sounds really familiar. Um, I also could speak, could be like relating the Anders yeah. name to Dragon Age. So don't nah, rely she's on any of my information. But the ladies of Halo are always really cool. So basically, she'll probably be awesome. Mike, anything about this one? Um, nothing really. I mean, I I was never really much of a Halo player growing up. I didn't have a uh, Xbox. I was a PlayStation guy until I got a 360. So my Halo experience is more of just going over my friends' places and like playing multiplayer, really. All right, we're gonna have to kick you out now. Sorry. <laughs> okay. It's over. It's okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> No worries. Um, so what else, guys? What did you like at E3? So I got really excited. I was watching the... Which one even was it? It was the Bethesda um, stream while I was... It was basically on mute, just in the background, while I was doing some work. Um, and I looked up at one point when I was like, I was really engrossed in what I was working on. I looked up at some point and saw like a really cool trailer. And so I went to my friend and I was like, what is this trailer for? And she was like, oh, I think maybe it's Dishonored 2. And I was like, Dishonored is in space? That's so cool! And, like, neither <laughs> of us have ever played Dishonored, so we don't know what was happening. Um, and then it ended up being for the game Prey, which it seems to have no relation whatsoever to the original Prey game or the Prey 2 reboot that got rebooted. So, oh, it got rebooted. Got yeah! So, nobody really knows what's happening with that game, but it looks like a really cool, like, space horror kind of thing. And also, it got revealed not at the stream, but afterwards that Morgan, the main character, can be a dude or a lady, and I was like, I am so excited for this game. I think that was my first thought when I saw, because the trailer opens with you're the player and you just see the hands of the character. Yeah. My first thought was like, the name can, this could be a customizable character. Can I make them customizable? And I don't know if you can customize beyond male or female. I don't know if you can like change how they look, but I, I like the look of this. It I feel like it's Portal meets Soma because yeah. you have these weird, gross monsters, but you have a gun that like fire. It, maybe I'm wrong about it even being a gun, but like your weapon kind of distorts reality. It looks, it has a very Portal aesthetic as well. Like even though it's kind of a bit more yeah. horror looking, it, it definitely looks like Portal. I noticed that. Um, I really like the one scene in the trailer where you're walking through this little area and it's like zero gravity and there's just like a body floating along. I, I love zero gravity stuff in games and I'm really excited for this game. And I'm genuinely surprised that I came out of the Bethesda conference this excited about something. 
<laughs> this looks really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of space games, there was another one <laughs> that had some information, um, the C3, which was Mass Effect Andromeda, which obviously Megan and I are looking forward to. I don't know how excited you are for it because you're less. Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm. The excitement is. I'm carefully tracking it. <laughs> yeah. It's. I, uh sort of was my interest in Mass Effect kind of went a little downhill after Mass Effect 3. Not, I didn't hate it. It just, it sort of didn't provide the things I wanted it to provide. And slowly I'm getting to see more of this. Even in this new trailer, we didn't get a ton of new information, although some came out afterward. Yeah, they're trying to, I know that the team working on Andromeda don't want to show anything unless it's fully polished. And apparently they're really close to being finished. I mean, it's being released later this year, I think. Or early next year, which I'm still surprised about. I thought it was going to come out in 2018, even though we had 2016 as an original date and it got pushed back to 2017. I still thought it was going to be 2018. And I mean, that could still happen. We don't know. But the fact they're in final development is kind of impressive. And we've seen basically nothing. But yeah, at the end of the trailer, you see a character wake up and she is a woman and she's like, we made it. And I assume straight away that she would be the playable character. And it got confirmed pretty soon after that she is the playable character or in the same way that Shepard is that you can customize your character and they've stated as well that you have male or female but they're doing other things as well that they're not elaborating on yet so I'm curious what they're going to do there because it seems like they're going to maybe do more gender neutral stuff potentially maybe in a similar way to The Sims is doing it Um, and apparently the romances and stuff are going to be more realistic which is exciting because Bioware is had a little bit of problems with like building romances. You basically walk up to them and you click the top top dialogue option until they fall in love with you. Um, or you throw <laughs> gifts at them in the case of Dragon Age Origins. And I, I'm really keen to see where the team goes with this. And also, the characters look gorgeous in Frostbite. Yeah, yeah the Frostbite I was, uh... engine... Oh. <laughs> Sorry, we'll get this. We'll figure it out. <laughs> um, what, what were you going to say, Mike? Um, the Frostbite engine is the same engine they use on Battlefront, and it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's the same engine as Just Inquisition like the... as well, but they couldn't use yeah. full capabilities in that because they were also porting it to um, 360 and PS3. And so Mass Effect Andromeda mm-hmm. is the first time Bioware's actually had a chance to do fully next-gen games, or this-gen games, I guess, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, the player models I... like inside of there, like just the way that... You know, they interact with the environments and everything. It's it's like it's top notch the way that the Frostbite engine works. Can we talk about the detail on just that one Asari? Oh my god, I was ex- like, I was like, please bring up the Asari, <laughs> Megan. <laughs> well, because she just like she won the internet. I mean, yeah. she's so cute and so dorky looking. Like she looks like an actual she person. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people were she saying, looks like, like a. A motion-captured person, not, like, an airbrushed video game woman. Yeah. It's, yeah. People were saying, like, it looks like she has eyebrows. I didn't know. I guess it does. I I read people really reading into that, like, maybe she has a human parent, and that's why she has eyebrows, but I don't don't know. It's probably, well, not that she genetically inherited them, but that she would have, like, painted them on or something. Well, I mean, Liara has, like, painted on the eyebrows. 
Yeah, I think it's just for the for the player, but speculation is fun. Yeah. Yeah, it could just still be like due to the game being still in development or whatever too. Yeah, I mean, I know <laughs> eyebrows are a definite like design feature that a lot of things end up having, even if they're not human, because it helps portray human emotion for the players. And so, if she does have eyebrow markings or something, that will probably be why. But it yeah, also probably I mean, means that she will be a main character of some kind too, because there's no point doing that with just a side character. Yeah. I mean, I could be totally wrong there, but I also just really want her <laughs> to be in your team so you can romance her. <laughs> and I think you as see... As... Oh, sorry, Megan. I'm going to say this. No, it's okay. <laughs> I I just wanted to uh, point out the player character. I did not expect the woman at the end of the game to be the player character. My thought was, like, she was in some kind of cryo sleep, and you... she. I thought she would be one of the characters you met first. Like... You come to a planet and you find her in cryo sleep, and she's like, "What's going on?" And she's exposition, basically. But that was not nearly enough of an optimistic view because no, they went with a, a equal time for each player character, really, because the first trailer had a male character, a male rider, I guess is the name well, of them. The first trailer does does it actually have a rider, or does it show the N seven character? Because I think the N seven character might actually be oh, a, a oh, non player right. character. Because you see yeah, them at the start no, of this trailer, right. too. And it would be really I guess, interesting. Okay, so then they just went with the female female rider. Yeah, and I think that it's cool that they're finally actually doing that, because they promised they would do that for Inquisition, and it never happened. Um, and it's really exciting that they're actually finally doing that. And I'm also really excited about the idea of having an N7 character part of your team, but you not being them. Yeah, I'm like, what does that mean? So this is set far enough in the future that the uh, um, events of the Mass Effect trilogy don't matter, essentially. Well, I think it's, it's all... Yeah, it's set really far in the future because of how long it takes to get to Andromeda. Like, it takes hundreds of years to get there. Um, and so all of the characters, I think, have been in cryosleep, potentially, or at least your main character has been. Um, but it means that... I, I guess they haven't actually said when the arcs leave the, the Milky Way at all. I, I don't think that's been confirmed anywhere. So we don't know if they leave before Mass Effect 3 happens or after. It might be like a last-ditch effort to keep everyone alive in case that's true. you fail against the Reapers. And I'm kind of hoping that's what happens because I don't want there to be like... Like, if if the Arcs leave Earth and go to Andromeda before... Or, I mean, after Mass Effect 3 happens, then like one of my shepherds, basically, her story doesn't exist. It's just not possible for that to happen because she kills everyone. That's her story, essentially. And I mean, that's kind of a... that I can understand if they don't want to make that canon, but also it does kind of take away a little bit of player agency from the first trilogy. And so I am hoping that, you know, it happens possibly right before Mass Effect 3 because that would be a really cool tie-in to the original trilogy as well without it actually being anything to do with the original trilogy. It would be, and I think that would be really plausible while keeping the player agency because if these arcs left shortly before the events of the end of Mass Effect 3, the characters on board wouldn't even know what happened, so there'd be no need to address what choice Shepard made. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how they're going to play that. And I have a lot of faith in the Mass Effect writing team. I mean, at times I don't, but at the moment I do. Um, I'll see if they actually live up to their faith. That's kind of how I feel with the discussion of, like, different gender options and different romance options because like I would love to see um I would love to see them change the way they do the romances a little bit but 
they I, I don't really trust them. I think it, there's only so much you can do in a game, frankly. There has to be a clear path, and maybe it can be a little more complicated, like Dragon Age's approval and disapproval, or something like that. But I, I, that I'm a little skeptical about. Um, we'll see whether they... And I'm okay with how they've done it before, but... We'll see. We'll see about this. Yeah, I could see it working kind of in a way in, like, certain characters you choose, like, I doubt they're going to do the same morality system, but say you, like, chose all renegade options for your conversations with the character, and that made them like you more, as opposed to just choosing the paragon options, which is kind of, like, how it works. Um, like, with Gareth, sometimes, like, the renegade option seems like the better option, but that doesn't ad- advance your romance in any way. It just makes you better friends. Um, I'm curious to see if they'll bring in polyamorous romances because I know Bioware definitely wants to start doing that stuff Hmm. and they got really close with Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, They've done that before. They've done that with Jade Empire. It was very, um, very, what would be the word for it? Like, um, not subtle, but like they didn't show anything, but it was there. Yeah. And it would be interesting to see them try and tackle something like that with the way more advanced games like this. Because um, I know that's the only thing they want to do. And I know they also want to explore um, asexual and aromantic relationships potentially at some point. I don't know if the Mass Effect team will do that or if it'll be the Dragon Age team that does that. But I don't know. I I really like the way that Bioware writes their narratives and their characters and everything. So I'm really excited about this game just for that. And the fact that it's going to be a completely removed Mass Effect game. Like, it's going to feel like Mass Effect. And it's going to be Mass Effect, but it's not going to be Shepard. I think I just realized what I want, which is I was thinking it would be nice if they did gradations of relationship status, like not just either you're on the romance track for for a character or you're not, but like you move from friends to best friends to romance or it's sort of a Y-shaped path where you can like, quote, like get to the end game with someone as a best friend. That's what I want. I want a best friend mm. achievement. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably what they want to do as well. I mean, they probably want to have best friend achievements, but I think that's potentially where they want to go with this kind of stuff. So that even if you're not, I mean, they kind of got there with Inquisition a bit. Like even if you didn't romance someone, you could develop pretty meaningful friendships with them through the different approval systems they have. Um, and that was quite interesting. I think it could have been done better. And I think Andromeda has the time and less less pressure to potentially do that. Mike, are you a Mass Effect player? Um, not really. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. Never, yeah, um, like, from when I graduated high school till, like, maybe, like, a year ago, like, all through college, I never had a, I didn't have a gaming system anymore, just because, like, poor college student that you know i sold it just because i needed like you know money and just i couldn't really do anything with games while i was in school so i was pretty much like out of games from like when i graduated high school till like right after i graduated college so oh man yeah i would recommend it if you ever have time the series is really good yeah i'm sure i could probably download it on ps4 on the store or whatever yeah i think they've yeah, got you can get game. nice uh nice bundles now for mass effect it's not that expensive to buy all three of them yeah yeah i'll have to I'll have to look into them so speaking of robots um unless we have any more mass effect stuff i think the next thing on our list is titanfall 2 which 
I've not played Titanfall, but I'm all about robots. So <laughs> does someone with more expertise want to speak to this one? <laughs> I mean, I've never played Titanfall either, and I have had no interest in playing the game at all. But I was watching the trailer for the new one, and I was still not that excited until they were like, oh, it's got a single-player mode. And I was like, okay, I could be interested in that. And then the single-player mode, you have a robot friend, basically. And I was sold, essentially, straight away. Because, like, it's got the titans in the game, which are the robots that you pilot. Mm-hmm. But at the start of the trailer, it's like telling the robot what its three main things that it's programmed to do are. And the first one is... Um, oh, I don't remember what it is. Like, it, It's basically like do the mission, protect your pilot friend, or protect your pilot. And the fact that they put do your mission above protecting the pilot means that the mission is going to come before the pilot at some point, and you're going to be portrayed by your own robot. And I'm so excited for that betrayal in this game. Like, I already can see it coming, and I just want it so bad. Oh, no. That's crazy. I love how you're like, can't wait for this betrayal. I love heartbreak in my robot friend games (laughs) so much. (laughs) So yeah, like the things that. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I have no feelings on Titanfall as a multiplayer shooter at all. I don't care about that. I just want the robot friend game. (laughs) The things that sold me on this were the single player, which is what I've been clamoring for in Titanfall the whole time, and I'm still this like I'll buy Horizon Zero Dawn before Titanfall, but I am intrigued now. But the other thing is the. The grappling hook, like you can play just as a human with a grappling hook oh, and try yeah. to take down a giant robot. And I, I want it to be like Empire Strikes Back, where you're just last <laughs> yeah. robot. Yeah. Um. Speaking of like the grappling hook, there was somebody who said something really interesting, not about Titanfall, but about the new Call of Duty game that's in space. Um. And that yep. one's not in VR, and I mean they haven't said it's going to be in VR yet, and it might end up being in it. But one of the big problems with virtual reality so far is that people can't. The developers are struggling to figure out ways of making the player move that doesn't make people sick. So, like, organic walking makes people really, really sick, and it doesn't work properly with virtual reality. But in the new Call of Duty game, you've got basically this grappling hook thing that pulls you to places that you can use. Um, and somebody, I think it was Rami... Rami something, who's a game developer, um, pointed out that that could work really well for virtual reality games to have a thing like that, that basically you toss your grappling hook and it pulls you instantly to the place and it would solve a lot of the problems and I thought that was really interesting and the fact that there are other games that are bringing in things like that could mean that this could eventually become a thing in virtual reality total tangent Mm. sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) no yeah that could be interesting because I during the PlayStation conference I remember what when it was like right before I went to bed it was the last one I saw was the Call of Duty um, trailer that they showed and like just the the mechanics that they had where you're you know you're floating from like floating through space using a grappling hook and like you can grapple other people it's like it's like really really interesting to see how the the mechanics are going to work for that there's a lot of potential with vr and we'll talk more about that later i think yep yep yeah <laughs> Um, another game that totally not VR, but also related to robots because we love our robots on this podcast. But there's Detroit <laughs> Become Human, which is the re- the new Quantic Dream. That's the name, yeah, Quantic Dream um, game. And I know a lot of people have feelings about David Cage and Quantic Dream and their games like Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls. Um, I have not played Heavy Rain. I've watched someone else play it, and it looks like 
a stressful game. Such a stressful game. Because all of your characters can die, basically, in it, if you make the wrong choices. And choices aren't as obvious as they are in, say, like, Mass Effect or something, where you can kind of, like, see a choice and you're like, oh, this is going to lead to this person's death. Um, the Quantic Dream games are much more interested in trying to capture realism and chaos in that kind of realistic way. Um, I played Beyond Two Souls. I love that game a lot. It's really interesting. It's not an amazingly written game a lot of the time, but it's basically like you have you're a girl and you have this ghost that's following you around and it can do stuff for you and you've got to make choices and learn about the ghost and what's happening there. And it's a really interesting game. Like if you have a PlayStation 4 and you have a day to kill, I would suggest picking it up and just playing through it because you can get a bunch of different endings and it's got a really cool story. And the main character, even though she's obviously Ellen Page, she's not Ellen Page, but <laughs> they, they really wanted her to be Ellen Page. Um, oh wait, no. Yeah. Wait, was that the game Page. that got in trouble for using a likeness of someone? No. The Last of Us okay. got in trouble for that, didn't it? Which one has Ellen Page? See, I can't remember because one of them has Ellen Page and the other one doesn't. Hang on, I'm Googling. I don't Googling. think it was The Last of Us. No, The Last of Us doesn't. <laughs> um. Um, there is character in Beyond Two Souls who is portrayed by Ellen okay. Page. Yes. Okay, this game is Ellen Page, and she's a really good games actress. I remember, because The Last of Us came out at the same time, and Ellie originally looked and sounded a lot like Ellen Page, and they got in trouble for that because of Beyond Two Souls having okay. the Ellen Page character at the same time, and obviously The Last of Us didn't actually have Ellen Page. They were just trying to make their character look like her. Um, and so, yeah. I'm really excited for Detroit Become Human, because basically it looks like artificial intelligence is becoming human, and things happening because of that which is exactly what i love in stories and the fact it's a um i've already forgotten the name again even though i was just saying it a quantic dream game i have mixed feelings on because that could be it could be bad and it will probably be very stressful but i think the story will be really interesting this one looked intense i i like the design of it but it definitely tipped over the edge from like interestingly intense robot game to actually frightening robot game for me yeah the um have you ever played a contract dream game no they get very intense they're not really scared of um going to like any place they'll go anywhere basically with their story and it it can get it can get really distressing like i know there's one point in heavy rain basically where you have to choose to cut off your finger i think or your hand um, to save your son, basically. And if you don't do it, you know your son's <laughs> going to die. Um, and yes. you have to make the choice of whether or not you're going to cut off your hand, but you also have to make the choice of how you're going to cut off your hand. And the room basically gives you a whole bunch of different options for how you can do it. And that's basically how these games are. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. I'll let you play that one for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah, I, I will. It's fine. <laughs> Mike, you have a, an entry on the list here. Yeah, so besides anything Star Wars that came out of E3, the, probably the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is the new Spider-Man game that was announced during the uh, PlayStation conference. And I don't know if either of you saw any of the um, footage that they, sh they showed from it, but it looks awesome. It's, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't remember uh, who the. I'm trying to remember who the studio was that's doing it. Oh, um, it's um, dang! I should know this. 
This is completely out of my zone. Superhero games are, I, I know nothing about this. Oh, but like just, just seeing that, you know, the, whatever work they have done so far on it, you know, they don't have a release date or anything, but I'm thinking it's probably next year. Oh, it's Insomniac. That's it. Insomniac. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I have a feeling that somehow they kept this under wraps up until this E3 and the release is probably going to coincide with the uh, Spider-Man homecoming. Yeah. So it makes sense. It makes sense that there's going to be a brand new Spider-Man game coming out, but like this game isn't like just a remake of the movie. So it's going to be a complete different, you know, whatever story, but like whatever, what they showed of it looks really awesome. You know, it's just, it brought back memories of playing like the old, um, I think Amazing Spider-Man 2 or whatever. I had it for like GameCube when you're swinging through New York City and it's, it was really fun. So I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what this uh, Spider-Man game from uh, Insomniac is going to be like. Yeah, I'm curious to see. Because Insomniac's pretty good at making fun games. Um, so I think this could be pretty good. I'm not much of a Spider-Man person, but if I have a PS4 by this point in time and it's not too expensive, I might pick it up. Yeah. Yeah, it looks a lot of fun. Cool. So, speaking of old things from when we were young, which are becoming new again, um, we're going to move into the Star Wars section with Battlefront. I think this week we're basically just going to confine our Star Wars news to video game news because there's just a lot of it. So, Mike, um, do you want to take us into your expert Battlefront overview? (laughs) Sure thing. So... Um, actually today, as we're recording, the Bespin DLC preview video dropped from, uh, EA on YouTube and Twitter. They posted it everywhere and it, and it, you know, they gave us the complete full details and rundown of the new, uh, download content pack that's coming. Uh, if you have the season pass, you can download it on Tuesday, the 21st. Um, if you don't have the season pass, you can get it two weeks later. So that'd be what, uh, July, no, yeah, July something fifth, I think. So that's two weeks later. So, um, they, what's really cool about the cloud city pack is with the large scale format games like Walker assault, they're including that in the cloud city so it's like you're going to be able to play inside of cloud city as like imperial walkers are walking through the city like i when you see an empire strikes back you you don't get the scale that an atat could be walking through the city but somehow you know they managed to get it into the game so uh they released like a couple preview images of the maps that are coming to bespin and like if there's one thing that you know, the DICE team that did with Battlefront is they make the environments look absolutely gorgeous. Like, hands down, like, it is movie quality accurate of, you know, the maps and the environments that they've created. So yeah, it's, it's going to be playing, insane. I remember playing um, a little bit at PAX Oz last year, and I was on Tatooine for one of the missions there and i'm pretty sure i died a couple times because i was just spending so much time staring at the environment because it is gorgeous yeah it's 
I've done that like in Endor, like just going around taking screenshots like for like a whole match just because there's so many different things and, you know, different aspects that they put into each map that is really because they went to, you know, the actual locations where they film the movies to make it as lifelike as possible. So, yeah, it's really cool for that. Um Besides that, they have the two new hero characters that are coming for Bespin is Lando, which is obvious. And, um, as the villain character, they have Dengar. So as, I mean, as far as we could tell, it seems like the villain characters are just essentially going to be bounty hunters. <laughs> That's all they have. Well, besides, well, yeah, besides Darth Vader, the Emperor, all they have is Boba Fett, uh, Greedo, and now Dengar. And during the EA conference on, I think it was Sunday, they showed, you know, a whole recap of everything that they're doing for Star Wars games going in the future. And they showed a brief, like, blink and you'll miss it glimpse of Bosk in Battlefront. So he's probably going to be the villain character that's coming for the next uh, download content uh, later this year. So... Yeah, besides the bounty hunters, there's there's really nobody else that they could use for the villains because stuck in the original trilogy period, there's what else is there besides Vader, the Emperor, and the bounty hunters? Yeah, I was gonna say unless you were gonna bring like Tarkin in. Yeah, and that really wouldn't make sense to use him in in Battlefront. You know what I mean? No, it's like that's essentially. They're, you know, it's kind of a drawback that that's all they're, they're locked into because, you know, with the heroes, they can, there's a lot more that they can use because, you know, we know a lot more heroes throughout the course of the films than in the original trilogy than there are villains. So they're kind of a little locked in for the villain aspect. Um, but this, you know, they're, they're definitely still playable. It's a, it's a lot of fun playing as, um, Greedo. I've, I've gotten really good with Greedo because he's really fast and you can just blaze around the map and he's got like this strong, like powerful pistol and like you can just run around headshotting people. So it's great. Um, so also for the Bespin is there's a whole new game mode called Sabotage. Um, from what I read, it looks like there's like rebel transports that are trying to leave the Cloud City. But I guess the emperor, uh, the empire has tractor beams where you have to go around the city and like, um, blow up like the tractor beam consoles or whatever before. So you're like the rebels, uh, ship can leave the city. So that should be, uh, interesting game mode. I don't know. Um, they didn't announce like what kind of like player size map it is. So I don't know if it's going to be like 10 on 10, 8 on 8 or 20 on 20. So there's, I guess we'll have to find out when the um, season pass comes out and people can say how many players are in each game mode there. And another thing that was shown in the preview video was that the Royal Guards are now the bodyguards for the Emperor. So when you, for Princess Leia and the Emperor, when you choose them as your hero or villain character, when people get killed and they respawn, they can choose to become a bodyguard character where they're sort of like a 
like a half hero where they have like the same health meter that the uh hero does obviously it's got a different a different um different level of health to it but before they had just the shock troopers who were the bodyguards for the emperor but now like in the video they showed the red royal guard so and then somebody who somebody tweeted at one of the developers and was like are the royal guards now replacing the shock troopers as the bodyguards and the developer from dice confirmed that yeah that the royal guards are now the bodyguards for the emperor which makes sense i don't know why they didn't have that in the first place probably too that's much pretty cool. animation but that's really cool yeah do they like, have like sticks or do they have blasters what kind of blasters. weapons do they have yeah because yeah, i know blasters. they have the staffs in the game right or in the comics yeah and yeah they have like the force bikes yeah that's what they, i want to play as <laughs> yeah that'd be really cool if they had the force bikes but i don't know if they just i i doubt they'd probably put the put you know they'd take the extra time to put those into the game yeah it'd be just a totally different because system to put in yeah a system different type and, of weapon Yep. Yeah. So I essentially all I think it is is it's probably they're probably gonna have the same exact like power ups and weapons that the shock troopers had. It's essentially just they're changing the skin to look like the uh Royal Guards. But it's it's a nice touch because I love Royal Guards are like one of my favorite like obscure sort of characters from Star Wars. So I'll I'll definitely be able to uh play as some of them if I spawn with the uh with the Emperor. Cool. And Battlefront was announced to be coming to PlayStation VR, which I think is pretty exciting. Is that with Battlefront 2? Because I know they announced Battlefront 2 happening. Um, no, the VR is um, going to be just a special extra um, mission coming when the VR launches in either October or November. I forget which month it is, but it's it's one of those two months, and like it's going to be part of like the launch title for it, Ooh. where it's essentially. I wonder if they'll have just, the packs. <laughs> yeah, that'd be oh wow, that'd be awesome if they did. Yeah. Um. So it's essentially just like an add-on to this edition of Battlefront, where it's you just it. They label it as uh, like Battlefront VR X-Wing Mission or X-Wing Mission VR, something like that. So I feel like it's sort of just like like a mission, like for a, like a few, you know, like five to ten minutes of like an actual just like a story that you have to play through. But mm-hmm. I mean, being able to <laughs> pilot an X-Wing in VR, it's like it's a, even if it's like a five or ten minute thing, I'll play it after over and over and over again because it's just it's going to probably be incredible and gorgeous and just amazing honestly yeah, yeah like even when, a demo of that is is worth it yeah when i was because i've been very excited about vr since last year uh, and i got to play some vr games and i totally never even thought about the fact that there could be vr x-wing in a battlefront game even though it's so obvious now that they've actually announced it and when it got announced, I was just like, oh my god, I could not think of anything more exciting in this entire world than playing, than flying an X-Wing in virtual reality, because it's so cool. And, I yeah. mean, I, I was never really sure I was gonna get, um, <laughs> gonna get Battlefront, but now I'm like, I should probably get Battlefront so I can play the VR X-Wing. Like, it's, it's not even gonna be much content, but 
I really want that content. Yeah, they conf- I think I'm pretty sure they confirm that if you already own Battlefront, you don't have to like you're gonna be you're just gonna be able to download the X Wing VR. Oh, that's cool. And like I said yeah. before, there's like issues with um solving walking with virtual reality, but flying in cockpits is something that's already working perfectly fine. And so this is this is exactly the kind of thing we'll probably get in a lot of shooter games before we get other kinds of virtual reality and i'm so psyched about that because it means that yeah we end up with with x-wing vr and it's the best i mean i haven't played it yet but i just have a feeling it's going to be the best yeah i like i lost my mind when i was watching the playstation conference and they started showing that i was just like i yeah i can't wait for it i'm like i want to start saving saving up now from the psvr because yeah, I'm gonna definitely have to be getting that. So yeah, like I know a lot so, of people are iffy about VR because I mean it's kind of been a thing before and it's never really succeeded, but it seems like it's gonna be the next big thing. And I can say like from what I've played, which hasn't been much, it's probably gonna be an awesome thing. And I am 100% gonna save up for a VR system when I can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like now that we're talking about getting. Um, like now that I'm thinking about getting a PlayStation, I'm looking in. Like, is this a peripheral? How does this work? It's intriguing. Looks like it's a yeah. It's just like a heads-up display that you get along with the PS4 itself. That's yeah, pretty it's cool. Just a little headset that you wear as well. Yeah. Um, I think I used the Vive, which is the PlayStation One last year. The Vive is the PlayStation One, right? I think. Um, last year when I played Oculus, not Oculus, when I played Earthlight, I'm pretty sure that was on the Vive. And that was pretty cool. And you can also wear glasses with it still. Not everyone can, but I could wear my glasses while I was playing with it, which was a nice a nice thing to be able to do because I know there have been some worries about that. Because if you take off your glasses virtual reality, you are still blind within virtual reality. Yeah, that's that's my big <laughs> yeah. question because like I can't see I can't see without my glasses. So yeah. it's like And if I'm if I uh, am right and it was the vibe that I used last year, it def- it does work comfortably with glasses on. That's good to cool. know. So quickly, let's talk about some of the other Star Wars stuff. There was a basically one large trailer for several upcoming games that we still don't know a lot about. Um, we know uh, Visceral Game Studio and Respawn Entertainment are both working on things that are called um, adventure games. So we don't know really whether they're like RPG style. I think one of them's called adventure. One of them's described as action adventure. Um, they're in production. I thought one of the most exciting things about it was that um, Doug Chang, who did a lot of the concept art and the art direction for, um, I think it was Phantom Menace and several other Star Wars movies, is working on these. And some of the art is very preliminary, but looked really cool. And of course, these are um, the Visceral Project is the project that Amy Hennig is writing for. So that's exciting. Yes, and she is an amazing writer. And I'm so excited to have her working on Star Wars. Yeah, I I think the visceral one is the they showed a like really like a couple of like ten or fifteen seconds like of like early early concept um game work of the of the game on the EA conference on Sunday where yeah. like it's it's the guy he's like walking out of like a cantina or something mm, but it looks like Western. it's on yeah, it looks like it's on Tatooine at Moss Eisley, and you can see them like Tie Fighters fly overhead, and then like I think like early 
in the space is or up in the sky in the atmosphere is like a star destroyer and like it looks awesome it looks so cool i'm very excited for that game because there's been like talk of the visceral game for ages like to the point where everyone knew it was going to happen even though it had never been announced and i haven't i've played like a little bit of uncharted and stuff and like i know all about those games um and I'm really excited to see Visceral do something for Star Wars. And, I mean, I when um, the because it had the little screen come up before the little trailer when they were like, oh, these are the companies working with us. And I saw Bioware, and I was like, I know it's going to be the Old Republic stuff, but I still wish it would be KOTOR 3. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. perked up when they mentioned the uh, the TOR content. And they showed some of the cutscenes from the um, the latest expansion, which I've not played, but know about I mean, that came and it's out last year beautiful it? stuff but yeah it's, it's it's been out for quite a long time yeah and i mean i just i i want i want new kotor to happen and i mean there's people there's whispers of uh, something to do with kotor happening and i mean obviously it won't be the same story or anything um but like the fact that like there are vague whispers of it makes me think that bioware still could have something that might happen in the next few years, and I just I want that to happen so bad. Whatever it is, I just want Bioware and Star Wars to work together on a non-MMO thing again. I know. I feel like everybody's got to know that that's the match made in heaven. Like, KOTOR was... I mean, I, don't, I can't say everyone loved KOTOR, but fans always get super excited about just the idea of that in every you know every social social media situation i've seen yeah and kotor is such an amazing game it's so well written and so well done and having the star wars background to draw from for that game was just it made it so much better and it would be really cool if they did give bioware an actual canon old republic story to tell in the new canon it would be really cool to mm-hmm. see i don't know if that'll ever happen but like maybe it'll see, happen in like 10 years when i'm working for bioware and then i can work on the game <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's possible I yeah i mean as far as like you know stories of things like you know older public or you know eras inside of star wars that aren't they don't have essentially they don't have any canon anymore the video games are the one thing that I could see them using to create the canon for those eras. You know, obviously, you know, the movies and the books and the comics and everything, they all want to focus on, you know, the original trilogy. Now the sequel trilogy, we're not really seeing much of the prequel trilogy as far as, you know, like the novels and comics and stuff are going. So it's like with the games is something I could see them really, you know, giving us stories from eras that, they won't be covering with, you know, movies and TV shows and stuff. Yeah. And I think for now, they've still got to be a little bit careful about what they're doing there because they're still working out um, all the timelines and stuff for the new canon to keep it all consistent. But I think once that gets more worked out and once we start actually seeing more of these games, we'll probably be able to get more stuff that's set not around the sequel trilogy or the original trilogy. Because, I mean, I love the sequel trilogy, but the problem is that at the moment they can't show us much from it. And by the time they can show us a lot from it, we will have everything at once. And it'll be a lot of sequel trilogy. And the problem with the original trilogy is that we have seen everything from it, basically. Like, yeah, we've seen all the exactly. stuff like in Legends. And then in the new canon, basically everything we've gotten has been original trilogy. And they've explored as much as they can, basically, with the comics, like, before Empire Strikes Back and all that stuff. Like, Empire Strikes Back mm-hmm. has been explored to death, even in the new canon already. And so it's going to be very hard to actually set games in those eras if they want to. So they're going to have to explore other eras. And I mean, Rebels kind of has hints at the Old Republic and stuff. So they're definitely thinking about it, which is something exciting. 
Yeah. I think you're probably onto something with that the timeline maybe hasn't quite been worked out yet and it, all the puzzle pieces need to come together first, but I'm just waiting for the day they give Bioware the go-ahead for something. I mean, the moment yeah. I heard that EA got all the Lucasfilm stuff, I was just like, come on, Bioware's got to get it now, because yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's no reason not to at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it's going right. to be interesting to see what else they, uh, what other studios they, they, you know, can come up with, obviously, so. I love that Uprising just got completely ignored. <laughs> they didn't even <laughs> well, put yeah. them on, like, the list of studios they have under them. It just wasn't mm-hmm. there at all, and I was like, wow, that sucks for them. <laughs> yeah, they even talked about, like, Galaxy of Heroes. Yeah, and, but... <laughs> they even mentioned, like, yeah, the fact they have a mobile game, but they did not mention Uprising. I was like, wow, that, that sucks for Uprising. Like, I'm still... <laughs> I think I'm still playing. I log on every day to do my dailies, and I don't do anything else because my phone dies mm. in like five minutes. But I mean, the game's still there. There's still people playing it. It's still it's still fun. They've done actually a lot of updates to it to make it a lot better than it was when it first came out. So like, if you gave it a go and it was kind of interesting to you, but you never really stuck with it, it's worth giving it another go. I'm I'm that yeah. person who started it and didn't stick with it, but it was good. What I played was good. Every once in a while, <laughs> I think about those characters. <laughs> Uh, anything so, uh, else also, about games? We do... Oh, uh, Mike, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say that also um, on... I don't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday, they came out with... You can download on Xbox One and PS4. You can download the LEGO Force Awakens demo. Yes. Oh, yeah, uh, that would have been the, the EA conference too, right? Or was it on the same day as the uh, EA conference, at least? Yeah. And, um... Because I'm not... Um, Whoever makes that, I don't know. I don't even know who Traveler's makes... Tales. Is that who makes the Lego games? Right. I believe so. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the the you know the actual game is coming out Tuesday the twenty eighth. So, uh, probably like a week, you know, a week or so in advance is the uh the demo. So you can go on to whatever app store that you have on PlayStation or Xbox and download the the. Uh, Force Awakens demo, and I I tried it out last night. It's it's pretty fun. That's yeah. something else I should do this weekend and haven't done yet. I'm not much of a Lego games person, so I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna watch everyone else have fun with this one and be glad they're having fun because <laughs> Lego games are crazy fun, but they are not my cup of tea. Yeah, it's just like the way that they're written and sort of their comedy style. Like not everybody. You know, not obviously not everybody's a fan of it. Yeah, so. yeah, and I'm still a little bit bitter because um, I played I think the Justice League one or something or a Batman one um with my friend, and I wanted to play Supergirl, which was an unlockable character. Turns out she was the final unlockable character you could get, and so by the time we actually got her, we didn't want to play anymore. <laughs> so I'm still like <laughs> bitter about that whole thing. Uh, I uh, the Lego games have become more and more complicated, and I liked. That I liked how simple they were. You had your hub, and then you had your individual like movie missions broken into scenes, and that was it. And they've gotten more and more complicated to the point that it like took me a while to figure out how to work the menu in the Lord of the Rings one. So <laughs> I'm hoping this like dials it back a little bit, but I don't know if that's me not understanding or the game getting cluttered. It, it probably a little bit of both. Yeah, definitely could be a little bit of both. 
But we'll see. I, I like their sense of humor. I just think those those are really fun. Actually, I like that those are fun for about the same reason that I think Pokemon is fun, which brings us nicely into our next topic. Um, Lego and Pokemon, I think both are the, just like very simple pleasure of collecting stuff and of knowing that you have to get exactly this far to get your next like unlockable thing or you need to go to exactly this location. And it's the same, like, really simple pleasure, I think. So we're going to move on to our big topic, which is Pokemon Sun and Moon. Um, Probably, let's see, we'll just see how long we talk about this, because it's exciting. It is coming out on November 18th. And I wanted to, first of all, ask you guys, like, how long have you been into Pokemon? Because... I'm mean, pretty much everyone that I've talked to says they played it as a kid. And I also played it as a kid, but I'd never owned a Nintendo system when I was really young. So my first one was Pokemon Crystal, which is relatively modern. And then I didn't own any of them until um X and Y came out. And then I got like really back into it because I like the style of X and Y so much. But I always liked that world, and I was really into the card game when I was a kid, you know, when it was first coming out. So what's, uh, Mike, what's your Pokemon history? My my Pokemon story, like my Star Wars story? Yes. <laughs> um, so I, my first one that I started out was with, you know, with Blue and Red when they first came out. I had, I had, don't remember if I had a whatever Game Boy color probably back then. And, um, yep, I got red, started playing that, you know, when it first came out, I was 98. And then next one was yellow, then I got silver, then crystal. Like, so I've essentially gotten every single game as they've come out, not just like the handheld ones. I remember getting like Pokemon Stadium for and Pokemon Snap for N64. So it's like, besides Star Wars, like video games, Pokemon has just been like the one game franchise that I'll, whatever comes out, I'll get. Cool. Man, I remember I played Pokemon Stadium about the same way you played Halo, which is that I played it at friends' houses. And I liked it, mm-hmm. but I never owned it. Seth, how about you? It- I I I I don't know. I've I've loved Pokemon like as long as I can remember. It was one of my first main obsessions. So much so that at one point when I was in primary school, my friends decided they didn't want to be friends with me anymore because I like Pokemon too much and they want to be adults. And Pokemon was not an adult thing. <laughs> oh, and so man, Pokemon has literally struggle. ruined friendships for me. I mean, I'm kidding because you know how kids are. They don't want to be someone's friend for one day and the next day they're like, "Oh, we're best friends again." <laughs> so like, it wasn't really a thing. <laughs> yeah. But um. I don't know. I think like from when I was like four or something, when it first started airing in New Zealand. Sorry for being um, young, but it yeah, I start. I loved it. Basically, <laughs> I wasn't gonna say point. It. <laughs> but I wasn't allowed a gaming console for a lot of my childhood, even though I loved games with a passion. I would go to friends' houses and play them. I would like, I would go out of my way to try and find a way to play video games. And my parents like didn't believe in gaming consoles being good for children or something, which at the time is fair because they were a very new thing um, in the mainstream, at least for children. And so I had a cousin who owned, like, all of the gaming consoles. And whenever I got to see him, which was, like, once a year or something, he would let me play his Game Boy. And um, one of the first games I remember playing on that was Pokemon Silver, um, which would have been not long after it came out, I think. 
and I love the game. And he let me override his save because of how much I loved the characters I already had. Like, you know how you always wow. want to save a Pokemon. He was like, yeah, you can... Mm-hmm. Well, I think they've changed it now. You can have, like, a couple of different saves. But he was like, yeah, you can you can take over the save. It's fine. And so he let me override his, like, hard-worked-on game, basically, because he saw how much I loved Pokemon. And I think <laughs> a year after that, he got the new Game Boy, and he actually gave me his all of his old Game Boys and all of his old games, which included Pokemon Silver and Pokemon Yellow, and I think Pokemon Blue or Red, I can't remember which. And I basically binged Pokemon Silver until I was done, and then played it non-stop for the next few years because of how much I loved the game. And so Pokemon Silver was my first introduction um, to Pokemon, and at the time I was still quite young, so um, it worked quite well for me to get me into it. And so I have such like a love for the Johto region and all of that stuff, and I still really want to get Soul Silver because of that. And I've basically gotten most games since then. I don't think I didn't get Black and White because I couldn't afford them at the time. And then by the time I could get a new Pokemon game, X and Y had come out, um, and so I got those. I got X instead. But I've been following it like the entire time, and I love the series so much. And I collected Pokemon cards when I was a kid, and I collected Pokemon toys when I was a kid. So I still have this box filled with like. Anyway, like I got little figures, they're only like a centimeter or two big, and I have a box just filled with them still, because <laughs> I don't have the heart to get rid of them. <laughs> Those were adorable. I have such the like cliche Pokemon tragedies, which are that my parents sold my Pokemon cards and like. I would always tell my brother not to overwrite my save. And those are such universal experiences now, but at the time they were just sad. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I had a friend override one of my Pokemon saves once, and I was like, okay, that's fine. It's fine. I don't care. <laughs> Friendship over. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So there are a lot of changes that we've seen in Sun and Moon so far. Um, they're coming out on November 18th. Did I say that already? Yes. Possibly yeah. I did. Good reminder. Um, well, now you know for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, We've seen uh, demos of gameplay. There was um, a pretty lengthy gameplay demo at E3 on during the Nintendo presentation. And um, they... You can just, by looking at it, you can see that the characters look a little less like sprites, a little more like, you know, 3D RPG characters, um, this full range of movement. Um, when you get close to a trainer, a shadow comes down, almost like letterboxing on a movie. So a shadow comes over the screen so that you know whether or not that person is going to fight you. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's sort of like taking like the mis- mis- mystery aspect out of it, because you know most of the other games, it's like when you're walking by somebody you don't know, so it's like sometimes you don't want to battle somebody, so like you'll go like all the way like down yeah. to make sure like you're out of the their eyesight. So it's now it the seems don't like make they're eye be- contact. <laughs> yeah, so it seems like now they're gonna be like sort of like tipping you off to like which are trainers and what are just like NPCs. There were several things in this game that I thought did seem like they were there, particularly to give you more information or to help people that maybe hadn't played Pokemon before and didn't have the, like, near instinctual understanding of how Mm -hmm. 
that style of RPG works. Yeah, they definitely um, make the it more accessible. Is... I noticed that even with um Pokemon X and Y, that how much more accessible they're making the games because like you, in the old games, you'd get to like points in games where it's like, oh, you need a Pokemon that knows Surf. You have no water Pokemon here. You need to go find one and train one up to get it good enough. Um, whereas in the new games now, they're like, you reach a point where you need Surf. Somebody, a, a person will just give you like a, a, a level 50 Lapras that has Surf already or something. And so you'll get <laughs> yeah. like the game... The games are definitely a lot more accessible, which I know a lot of people are like, eh, they're making the games too easy now. But it's so nice for like a lot of kids <laughs> coming into the games and a lot of even adults who aren't used to games, like you said, who aren't used to this type of um, video game and don't know like all the secret little things that you know we know because we've played the game since we were children. Um, it's, it's nice to see this happen. I definitely had a sort of kids these days reaction to this because but on the other <laughs> on the other hand yeah kids these days with their level 50 lapras um <laughs> i'm sort of a like medium level pokemon fan where like i said i've not really played that many of the games i've watched the show here and there but i feel like i i know the ones that i have played reasonably well i don't do any of the like competitive battling oh i was gonna ask about that before whether you guys do that or just play the campaign um Uh, (laughs) i I, I just play i build up my teams um with the cutest pokemon possible which often means that they are the first level of pokemon because the second evolution is not cute which means that i cannot play competitively (laughs) because my pokemon are weak (laughs) Uh, no i yeah, I go basically basically by aesthetic. I like cats, I like birds, I like Eevees. So I'll just go with what I think looks cool. Um, so, but about like the other things that sort of help you through the game, there were a couple that I thought were really useful because there were things that like I would probably want to look up on the internet if I didn't have them in the game. Like um, there are, you can read the descriptions of a move during a battle. It's so there's so like good. a pop-out menu. Yeah, which I was just like, that's amazing. <laughs> um, it's sort of a pop-out menu where you can read, like, what, does this move have any extra effects? How strong is it during a battle? Mm-hmm. And the Pokédex, which is a Rotom, which is, I don't, yep. is that a Pokémon itself? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, um, it will tell you not only what you've caught, but whether there are any evolutions or any, like, partner Pokémon to that one so you'll be able to see exactly what you have and haven't caught and i know especially in the later generation like in x and y i was like i don't even know if this evolves how do i find this out so that Mm -hmm. is super useful yeah this stuff is definitely good um sorry mike um it's good because like especially because they're taking a bit of like the challenge out that came from you know older games having like being a lot less accessible because that stuff was never really considered um and also because of constraints they had like that might be getting taken out but i mean the number of pokemon like the sheer mass of pokemon if you want to collect them all is ridiculous to this point that you have yeah. enough of a challenge just finding everything and getting the right people to trade you the pokemon you need so it can evolve or whatever like you don't need much more challenge than that there are too many pokemon now yeah i think like just the that what they're doing with the pokedex for this generation is like really cool the way that they're it's essentially a pokemon itself because like the pokemon rotom is it's basically like a sort of electrical charge that can transfer into different appliances and like inhabit them so it's kind of like makes sense that 
it's like for this generation now that you can use that Rotom as a Pokedex. So it's really cool that like you're going to be able to sort of like have a partner with your Pokedex instead of it just being like an inanimate object. This actually makes me think back to the Titanfall conversation because as soon as I saw the like sentient Pokedex, I was like, so does yeah. this thing have a personality? Can it like, if it's unhappy with you, will it not show you anything? Like, is there going to be some story attached to this sentient Pokedex? That, I think that's a little, uh, a little much for what they're trying to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's probably like, true. X and Y had they, the whole had the whole like Pokemon War apocalypse thing going on, so you never know yeah, what they're gonna do. <laughs> and X and Y had that Looker quest, which is still like my favorite thing in Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Did you guys play that? I don't remember. Yeah. At the very end, you meet like after everything, after you've defeated the the Elite Four, you meet like five new characters and like have to solve a mystery and it's basically a much more rpg or much more like plot focused i don't think i did that i should go finish the game mini game i Wait, highly that, recommend it that was at the end of um the omega ruby alpha sapphire remake not x and y right uh... i i didn't play omega ruby so okay. i thought it was uh x and y maybe that was x and y because at the end of Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, there is like a um, like a little bonus story at the end after you de- defeat the Elite Four for the first time. Oh, oh yeah, because like... I think I have Omega Ruby. Um, I'm pretty sure I have Omega Ruby. That sounds familiar. Yeah, maybe they and... did it in both. That would be nice. Yeah, and like the like story that came after in. Um, those ones, it's like the eat. Like this is one character, and like they're trying to, you know, prevent like a asteroid or whatever. And it's when like you can go catch Deoxys and stuff. So it's it's like a really cool story. That's like an add-ons. That sounds so I wonder wonderful. If, yeah. So I wonder if like that's sort of what you know they're going to start doing for you know the rest of the games going forward, where they have these add-on stories that happen after you. Def- defeat like the elite four and like beat the actual main story maybe well we'll see if the rotom betrays us at the end of this game you'll see that i was right (laughs) never trust the artificial intelligence i know i've played games (laughs) all right so which is the best starter and why is it Litten? It's so Go. good. I love Rowlet <laughs> so much. I know. I'm definitely choosing Rowlet. What? I'm going to see. He's so that. done and I love it. <laughs> I'm going to see what the <laughs> final evolutions look like because, like I said, I judge things off cuteness. So mm-hmm. we'll see. If one of them has like a really cute looking final, like um, Del Fox, was that the final one in um, of X, the final fire type? X and Y. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that sounds right. Like the the cool looking like witch fox lady. I love that Pokemon mm-hmm. so much. So if one of these has like a really cool final evolution like that, it's gonna win just for aesthetics. I did yeah, I... um I have high hopes for the owl one because I tend to like birds and if it has a really awesome final evolution, that will also sway me. But when I was playing X and Y, I had a Oh, what's his name? The lion, the fire lion one. And, and um, it was adorable. And it hung out with me. 
and I just wanted another like fire cat to hang out mm-hmm. with me. So right now I'm voting Litten. <laughs> also, I usually go for fire types because they're just like the brute force, burn it all. Burn it oh. all, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to see what kind of, you know, sort of like, because one of my favorite things is whenever like there's a new game coming out and they're announcing new Pokemon is seeing what sort of new uh, type combinations that they can come up with that like we haven't seen before. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, figure out what sort of like, cause if you go, you go down the list, you can figure out on, like if you like wrote everything down, like, and like <laughs> matched them up to like your own grid, you can figure out what hasn't like what they haven't done a lot or if what, you know, type combinations they haven't put together. So I'm interested to see what sort of, you know, based on, you know, the new region for sun and moon, like what kind of, you know, themes that they're going to have. Cause obviously the, the new region for this one is based off of Hawaii. So I wonder, you know, what sort of animals that they're going to, you know, be basing everything off. Oh, I like that they be... went with like, it's based off of Hawaii, but it's just generally anything that exists in the Pacific because they got koalas too. So it's like Australia as well. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It's like, because obviously, like whatever you know, region or whatever game that they create, it's like the you know the themes of the Pokemon that they make is sort of like based off of where that location is in real life. So like X and Y was based off of like France. So like a lot of the Pokemon are like sort of like rural city type Pokemon and things like that. So I wonder if it's going to be like tropical designs or what they're going to or like you know, lions and or like panthers and like forest signs, like mountainous creatures. So it's going to be interesting to see what they come up with just based off of the region. It would be cool to see a bunch of so, um, Hoenn Pokemon be brought back for this one as well, because quite a few of them would match this region, like Tropius and um, like Slugma yeah. and Slugma mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff, because they're, they're kind of like volcano-y, or like Tropius is literally like just a tropical dinosaur with bananas. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and like, I, I miss... Johto and Hoenn Pokemon so much because I played the games in those in those regions a lot when I was younger and I every time I see one that's like from Johto or Hoenn I'm like I'm gonna catch this Pokemon it's gonna be my Pokemon it's gonna be my party right now every time (laughs) I noticed the legendary Pokemon is Magurna which is actually it looks like a robot like it's a fairy I think it's a fairy and iron type and I'm like what does that that mean what? Is that the artificial Pokemon? Yes. Yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, just like I don't know what sort of lore they're gonna put behind you know, lore they're gonna put behind the legendaries for this this region because they have like this um like lion is the one that's like representing the sun. And it's you know, like his mane looks like um like a starburst and then like the actual like um legendary for the moon version is like an actual moon like it looks <laughs> it's like it's based off like it looks like a moon like a like a half moon it's like so it's um it's you know wonder whatever sort of lore they're going to come up with you know is based off of the story it's cuz it's yeah That'd be pretty cool. And I think, I mean, I don't know all of Pokemon lore, and it's not like a particularly story-heavy game, but sometimes they come up with cool stuff, like 
you know, Clefairy came from the moon or whatever. Like, that's mm-hmm. just interesting, colorful, colorful things. Yeah, and, like, the fact that they've got, um, oh, what's it called again? Megiarna, Megiarna. I hate some of these names so much sometimes. Um, oh my <laughs> yeah. god, their Pokemon really oh, yeah, does look like a moon. <laughs> I'm like looking at a Galaga right. Pokemon now, yeah. Um, and like the fact that it's like a fully artificial Pokemon has like been created, probably has like an artificial intelligence to even like act as a Pokemon. It's kind of interesting the fact that they're doing that kind of stuff in the universe of it, that they're making Pokemon. And I'm like, what are they going to do with this? I'm so excited. Like everything involving artificial intelligence. Is just so exciting to me. And it, it probably won't even be, like, a main thing. But the fact it is a legendary Pokemon means that at least a movie's going to be made about it, probably. Yeah. Probably, well, there yeah. is some lore <laughs> on the website. It says, it was created by a scientist of uncommon genius 500 years ago. And it can sense the emotions and feelings of other Pokemon. And it, um... It has an ability in which its special attack rises every time another Pokemon in the area faints. That's kind of dark. Ooh, that is so kind of dark. It, it feels the emotions of others, but it also becomes more powerful when others faint around it. <laughs> I don't, I'm just gonna like pull out all the AI conspiracy theories. I don't trust it. <laughs> right. Oh my god, this is gonna be in my team. It absolutely has to be in my team. <laughs> I love when they do things like where it's like it was created like 500 years ago. Like I love they do so like I swear there's like one like Pokemon or like a group of Pokemon every single generation that they announce that it's like considered like ancient where like it came like in one of the generations there was like an actual it was like they were just based off of the actual like aliens like from Area 51 (laughs) and like other things like they crash landed like a thousand years ago and like they just recently found them and stuff so it's like i love that they like they sort of inject that into the story like it's like there's alien life forms in the pokemon universe you know yeah i love i love reading pokemon descriptions so much the people that write that just have so much creativity and i've been reading through a lot recently um to help out with like research for writing one of the games i'm working on and there's some really funny stuff and there's some really creepy stuff in there <laughs> like some of the Pokemon there is. like if you think about like the descriptions that. too much it gets really like distressing to think about like there's this, that stump Pokemon I can never remember what it's called the tree, the little tree stump Pokemon and apparently Phantom. yeah that one and apparently it is they, they get created from children who get lost in forests and die and they become those Pokemon and think about the fact that there are like thousands of those Pokemon around there's a lot of children who just mm-hmm. got lost. <laughs> See, yeah. I, I was gonna I was gonna say, well that's what happens in a society where children are regularly allowed to go travel the world at the age of ten by themselves. <laughs> that's true. Like I I don't like analyzing Pokemon in a dark way. Because no. it can get really dark really quickly, but I'd rather just kind of enjoy it and take I mean, it as it is. <laughs> my favorite one is um Drifloon, which like one of the descriptions is yep. that Drifloon are often often seen like take like try um, being held by children and then the children disappearing so there's like this whole theory that drifloon steal children but then there's another um description that came out in a different game they're basically drifloon try to steal children but they're so light that children just end up taking them along as balloons so drifloon try and steal children (laughs) and just end up getting stolen themselves and i love that so much they're such a useless pokemon (laughs) they're just ineffective at kidnapping children (laughs) yeah 
like probably my favorite like type that has like the weirdest entries is like any ghost Pokemon because it's like all of them are like Drifloon like tries to steal children or like another one like <laughs> takes dead children and like turns them into you know stumps that walk around. It's like ghost Pokemon that have the coolest descriptions. Yeah, creepy, but I guess that's fitting. Yeah, so, speaking of like weird Pokemon biology, I guess um, there was an announcement that in both the show and the games, I think Zygarde, which was the sort of secret legendary Pokemon in X and Y, has different forms. So it's not that it evolves, but it has forms. And its first mm-hmm. form is just like a single cell. And they're these little green cells, and it says... These are found scattered throughout the region. Also, they do not possess any will or thought processes, so we can do with that what we want. But that's, um, yeah, that's weird. It then evolves, not evolves, it you know, sort of sticks together with other ones and becomes a zygote core, and then it like grows through several forms. And I don't. We've never really seen this type of development before. I imagine it could be worked into gameplay pretty easily, where the more these cells you pick up, the more mm-hmm. you know you gradually make this. It's interesting. Yeah, and the idea be... of forms is like it's kind of similar to Dioxys or whatever it was called. They had the different like um, forms mm-hmm. and evolutions, but they had like the agility form and the defense form and stuff. And it meant that there were more than three types of that Pokemon in existence, and like kind of in a way and this is sort of similar to that because like it's yeah it's not evolution and like i guess i'm wondering how you're even going to hold these because like the zygarde cell it says that like it the researchers question whether or not they can even be called pokemon i assume that thing can't fight at all so like at which point can you start carrying it around and using it as a pokemon do you carry it separately like how does this work i want to know (laughs) i would imagine that the 10 percent form which is the one that looks like a dog with a scarf is the first one that can fight but I'm not really sure. I see. I th- I think I saw something that that form is actually sort of like a um, it works the opposite way where you have like a regular Zygarde, and then as you're battling with Zygarde, as your health goes down, it changes forms into those ones, or it oh. changes into it changes into like the dog with the scarf. And then if, like, you get, like, below, like, 10% health or something, or around 10% health, it transforms into, like, this, like, I think it was called, like, Zygarde, like, core or Zygarde, something like that, where it's essentially, like, it becomes, like, this giant, like, golem-type, like, beast with, like, like, it's, like, on two legs and everything. So it's like, I'm wondering, how does, like, those single cells, like, relate to that, you know? Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't see that about the gameplay. I'm not sure if it's on, yeah, I'm not sure if it's on the actual Pokemon website, or if you check out their YouTube channel. I think that's where I saw it. The website does say, when the ecosystem is under threat and the core concludes that the 50% form will be unable to deal with it, the core takes on the complete form. Oh yeah, I did okay, see. Yeah. I did see some like... gameplay of um, of of something to do with this uh, that had it go from the fifty percent form to the complete form. So that's possibly yeah, maybe maybe 
it is like the the Zygarde core is like the first one you can use as a Pokemon potentially. I don't know because it seems kind of weak. I don't know if it is, but like you get the Zygarde ten percent form, and then like when you get more more goopy cell things, it turns into the fifty percent form, and then when the fifty percent form drops below like yeah ten percent health or something, it turns into the complete form, which would be the complete. That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, interesting to see that like used as a strategy because like you also have to hope that your Pokemon doesn't just die in one hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that goes into like the um, sort of like the competitive um, metagame that um, Bang mentioned earlier is because there's an there's an item called uh, the focus band where as long as you're holding it you like you um, you like you can get hit but to pe- like even if it's like a super effective move you'll remain with one percent like one hit point left so. I'm assuming oh, yeah. if people want to use it, you know, if they want to get the complete form, they'll give it that focus band. So they'll survive a hit with one HP left, then they'll transform into it, and then you can probably wreck shop. Or you can, I wonder if, see, I wonder if then you've rehealed the Pokemon if it would change its form back. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. Huh. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how huh. this is used. I'm curious. It's cool seeing yeah. the new features they put in, but I am also very overwhelmed by how much is changing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, again, I have the kids these days with their mega evolutions, and like I definitely have a sort of immediate reaction like that, but whatever. <laughs> I'll yeah. play it. Looks like fun. Yeah. So I wanted to talk briefly about Pokemon Go. We I think we're going to wrap up here soon. I need to go to sleep. But um, <laughs> quick talk about Pokemon Go. Um, they announced a peripheral, a little pin, basically, that's going to retail for, um, I think, $35 in the U.S. And it allows you to play Pokemon Go um, without pulling out your phone. And all this is going to be available in this fall, I believe. And this thing looks kind of cool. It, I'm definitely curious about this game. I know they have um, field tests going on at the moment in New Zealand. One of my friends is playing the beta. I did not sign up because I forgot, and also because I don't think my phone could deal with it. Um, it looks mm-hmm. interesting. Like it, like I said, it's like it, the version he's playing is, at least what I saw of it, was not release ready. Um, I. It's interesting. It seems like to evolve Pokemon, you got to gather more of that Pokemon. I don't know if they changed it. I know they did a few updates since I looked at it. I'm not sure I will play it, especially because the extra stuff will probably cost a lot. Um, but it looks interesting. It looks very interesting. Yeah, I haven't really seen much of it recently. I remember when they, you know, the first announcement came, and I, you know, I was following like the news when it was, you know, I think last year when they, you know, were first coming out with you know what it was going to be like but then it's sort of just like fall by the wayside as like the news died down so i'm i'm really interested that it seems like it's going to be you know coming out soon or later this year maybe and then you know it'll be obviously i'll start picking it up more with you know as the news comes but i think i have seen some some stuff online that you know it looks pretty cool as far as you know Essentially, it's like you're able to play Pokemon in real life. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, because it's an app as well, it'll keep improving after it's released. Like, obviously, it's gonna they yeah. want to release it as good as possible because it's an app. They can push updates to make it work better and be more like what they want. So, like, even if 
even if it doesn't seem like perfect at first, it'll it'll get better. I think the kicker for me is how similar it is to the like Pokemon experience. You know, I, I heard this evolution thing too that you basically get an item if you catch a certain number of single species, and then that can be used to evolve one of them. Yeah. And that's um, just like, I don't know, maybe because making battle systems would be more difficult with Pokemon Go, but I don't know. I'm just like, that's not how it works, guys. Yeah, I know also there's not like, Pokemon centers aren't really a big thing. I don't know if they've changed it as well since, because like I said, this was quite a few months ago that I saw um, what my friend was playing, but they didn't have Pokemon centers. It seemed like it would be, um, you oh, could like pick up hmm. potions and stuff, but if you want to buy potions, it's microtransactions. And I was like, that makes sense, because obviously it's, they want microtransactions in their game, and I was wondering yeah. how they were going to do that. And so to have healing your Pokemon as that kind of thing, I'm so like, I don't know if I care enough to want to play the game that does that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I was just thinking, how would they do it? Because it, it would certainly be difficult to have a location. But what would be really cool, I think, is if you could set a Pokemon Center as, like, your house. So, like, you basically drop a pin somewhere, and that's your personal Pokemon Center. And if you're not physically there, you can't do the things there. I don't know if that would work. I don't know if that's how GPS works for these things. But it's my sort of quick fix idea for that. Well, I mean, you can set a home in Google Maps. I don't see why you couldn't set a home in this as well. That would be really cool. And it would work with the microtransactions, too. But I'm also not sure Nintendo would do that. Yeah. Yeah, because they haven't really... The one thing like Nintendo's not never really got into is mobile apps. So, and Miitomo like, did not do overly well. Yeah, that's that was like the first their first foray into mobile apps at all. <laughs> that was an so. interesting an interesting like two days when he yeah. was playing Miitomo. Uh. <laughs> That's another thing I knew mostly through the memes. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it was the problem with that game was it was too big and it didn't actually give you, like, it was a huge game and essentially you had to have your phone on power saving mode for it to not drain your phone while you're playing it. Um, and there wasn't actually that much to do in it. And a lot of it involved spending real money to, like, dress up your character and stuff. And because it was a social media app, essentially, but just, like, with the me characters, um, everyone just went back to their old social media apps because. Like why would they? Why <laughs> yeah. would they use this when they can just go on Twitter instead? Um, and so it didn't really do that well. And I feel sorry for Nintendo because they really did try, and it is a well-made app. But it, yeah, it just it wasn't aimed right. I think. All right, so I think we're going to wrap up. Anything else you guys want to add? No, I'm good. No, yep. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm ready for new Pokemon. I'm yeah. glad that I can play it on the same system that I had before, so my uh, 3DS is good to go. Yeah, I'm really glad about that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I got uh, I got a 3DS XL. Nice. So, full disclaimer, I have a 2DS, but it's good. It does what it needs to do. Yeah. So, Mike, um, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Where can people find you on the internet? No problem. It was a lot of fun. Um, you can find me mostly on Twitter. This is where I'm most active. Um, Mike underscore Audette. Um, and probably like we said at the start of the show, you can find me writing over at uh, Coffee with Kenobi and RetroZap and doing some a lot of social work for the uh, Far Far Away Radio. 
Cool. And Saf, where can we find you? You can find me at my website, notsafwork.com, or on Twitter, which is where I'm usually at, at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. Cool. And you can find me at, at blog full of words on Twitter. I write for Den of Geek. I write for StarWars.com. And you can find the HollowNet Digest at DelrayStarWars.tumblr.com. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to check the Western Reaches. Mm-hmm.